Bonjour. Welcome to the Dexabit Data Diaries. This is your captain speaking. You're listening to the Data Diaries. Data Diaries. So who's got the best voice? Nice. Yes. <laughs> Over the past few years, the world of data and visitor attractions has come a very long way. So joining me today for our next episode of the Data Diaries is one of its leaders of data analytics doing that work on the ground in one of the world's biggest cultural institutions. I have with me Baku Hosoe, the Head of Data Analytics at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. Welcome, Baku. Thank you for having me. And Baku, you came into the museum field from a consulting background. How does analytics and visitor attractions compare to what you've seen in industries like finance, telco, media, pharma? Yes, it was uh, very different uh, from what I was accustomed to. Um, in many ways, uh, it is much more difficult to uh, think about the uh, analytics in visitor attractions, uh, perhaps because when we think about people's decision to visit a museum, it is not a transactional thing. It is something that's deeply emotional. And many of our visitors come with high expectations, leap with great satisfactions and often repeat. And so it is even more important than ever, um, and in a way very difficult to understand the rich and nuanced experience of each of our visitors and derive insights on how we can improve. And it's always sat pretty close to the executive, the data function at the Met, um, and from memory at your board level as well. What were some of the origins and the drivers that were behind the data initiative in the first place? It has certainly been a multi-year effort, and there has always been strong interest from all around, both internal leaders as well as board members. And even some of the donors have also pinged the institution about you know what we're doing with data and how we're improving the use of data. They all felt the need to invest in this area, which actually uh, helped create my position as well. It can be seen as a bit of a, a reflection to go along with the changes in board structure as well. One of the key changes they have made in recent years was to form a revenue committee, uh, which is really aiming at improving the visitor experience all around. And that goes hand in hand with the creation of the data team to have visibility across all the data silos and business unit silos and provide the best in class experience uh, across all the aspects of the interaction with the Met to our visitors. Because ultimately, whether they shop at the stores or visit the museum or go to the concert uh, or to become members and participate in different live events, they're all the same people. And it is really important to have a holistic view about each and every one of them. And it's such a, such a wonderful thing to see data championed at such a high level. I think it's one of the key factors for success that we've seen um, in visitor attractions is that that really does need to come from the sea level, if if not even higher. And so fabulous that the the whole board is on is on board, so to speak, with um, with the data program at the Met. And Baku, how has your role evolved evolved over the course of the last few years? For one thing, to state the obvious, uh, the COVID has thrown a wrench into our plan for sure. And I have uh, stepped away from data to work on COVID-related project management around the closure and reopening. But putting that aside, uh, I would say that 
uh, my overarching responsibility has remained the same, which is to be uh, the change agent and uh, in a way an evangelist uh, for the use of data to derive the insights and to inform decisions and actions throughout the museum. But tactically speaking, for the first year, I'd say much of my activities were around building things, uh, creating reports, doing things for people. And compared to that, uh, lately, things have shifted more to influencing or enabling people throughout the organization. That is uh, uh, definitely a one noticeable change that has happened. And at the same time, uh, I think some of the, the key priorities or focus area have widened. It hasn't shifted, but just widened in that for the beginning, it was really important to show visible and measurable ROIs through the pure focus on the revenue and audience. But now there are much more efforts around how to improve the operations internally through the use of data, how best to utilize the rich collections data that we have and how to establish the governance structure and a community mentality, uh, fostering the, the data culture throughout the Met. These are all the areas that have become important, almost if not more than the, the revenue focus. That last piece is so interesting to me, the way that that focus has widened over the years, because in many cultural institutions that we see, the focus has actually gone the other way recently with covid um, that they've started out um, a few years ago with a really broad scope with data. And we, we tend to encourage people to get narrow um, in the first instance when they're starting to work with data. But in sort of the post-COVID um, months that we're in at the moment, um, that has become really hyper-focused on, on revenue, um, which perhaps for a lot of cultural institutions isn't something that they naturally would have started out. So it's really interesting to see that that journey's almost taken you in another direction at the Met over the past few years. Yeah, it is certainly dependent on the institution. And I think what is happening at the Met in particular is that with the COVID and with the macro trends around the labor force, we are all asked to do more with less. And when we think about that, it is very important to be efficient, effective, and really be able to prioritize and focus on what matters. And there are technologies out there that help us do it, but there wasn't as much impetus on required being required to do so. And COVID has changed the formula, and I think people are, are much more excited about having a better way uh, to, to improve the way we work and the way we manage our work through data that are driving force behind the broadening of the scope, so to speak. Mm. So there's an efficiency layer to that as well, is there? Absolutely. And you make a really good point around data governance. Um, that is also a piece that we see as being a really, really important part of the sort of best practice equation in cultural institutions, because a lot of the, the work of data is finding out where it came from and making sure that the correct business rules are applied and, and making sure everybody knows what those things are and, and then managing for things like privacy and security and the validity of data as well and its integrity. Is that what that work comprises for you at the Met? Absolutely. It really is about having a more explicit structure and also a centralized focus on those areas. 
all the industrial changes, uh, regulatory changes that are happening around us impact all of us and influence how we think about collecting, storing, using data. And yet, in the past, many of the data users within the museum were uh, operating more in silos, and they were uh, subscale when it comes to thinking about all the global changes that are happening. So it was uh, all the more important to create a governance structure and committee that actually look at these things and ensure there is the uh, uh, right level of access for the right reasons and keeping transparency and above all, uh, staying in compliance with uh, regulatory change in, uh, environment that's uh, constantly in change. And one of the things I think is really interesting, you've, you've built your data department up to include a, a few people and, and some uh, cross-functional roles as well from across the museum. And I know a lot of other attractions are really busy hiring data roles at the moment, and, and that might include their first data roles so somebody like yourself. Um, but in your view, what sorts of roles are most useful to hire and sort of what order should they hire them in? I personally think there's no one right answer that fits uh, for everyone. Data, as we think about it as a function, is still in the early stage of maturity curve, unlike other established business functions like HR, finance, IT. And I think for many of the institutions, the resource limitations and and really the degree of ambition surrounding data topic uh, dictate how best to structure so Baku, um, sort of coming back to this org structure of how you approach data, what are your thoughts on outsourcing versus insourcing for that function? What are the sort of elements that go into that decision? Uh, again, I think uh, there's really no one right answer that fits uh, uh, all in this particular one. One of the things that I needed to do early on as I started my uh, role was to really evaluate the our internal capabilities that existed at the time and, and how data was structured. And what we found for ourselves was that our data resources existed, but they were scattered throughout the organization and the types of tools they used, the level of capabilities when it comes to data topics were all at different levels. And more importantly, there wasn't any conversation across the data resources because they were all reporting into different uh, organizations. So when thinking about the design overall, the two main questions we asked was, one, whether to centralize or decentralize data capabilities, and two, how much to insource versus outsource. And I think the question is applicable to any institutions who are thinking about the design, but the the right answer would be very different depending on both the reality of the organization as well as the, the resource limitations and ambitions for the data function in the institution. On the questions of centralization versus decentralization, it really comes down to how different are the types of insights that are needed to be effective for particular areas. And what we found was that there is a very significant differences uh, between say a retail uh, department versus uh, uh, fundraising department versus membership department. So the way we're approaching it is that there is still a component of centralization through my team uh, sitting at the data analytics office. 
but we also have very specialized data resources in uh, some of the key departments. And we all work together in the area where the consistency makes sense, but otherwise uh, have uh, developed very focused capabilities on, on how best to deliver insights for that particular department. And similarly, on the questions of insourcing and outsourcing, outsourcing works effectively when there is not enough in-house capabilities to build it from scratch, whereas insourcing works flexibly when you already have resource who can handle that. So it does uh, really come down to the scale of your organization and the resource availability as well to, to decide whether to invest in a particular area or not. And for us, we are definitely doing the mixture of it. So in some of the, the areas, we have more than one data analyst who are really going deep into to utilizing AI's machine learnings to deriving insights themselves in an in-sourced fashion. In some other areas, we utilize outsourced vendor for both the creation and analysis of the data. So there really isn't one solution fits all, but really uh, dependent on the reality of your organization. It's great to hear that that's such a conscious decision for you, because I think this is such an important question that is often really skipped over in favor of just talking about the solutions rather than being a strategic one. And one of my favorite pieces of advice that I was given a long time ago on this question was to insource or to build the things that are unique to your organization and then to outsource or to buy the things that are common in your industry so that you sort of concentrate your investment into the areas that make your organization special. And that sounds very much similar to some of the things that you've been doing at the Met because the total cost of ownership of of some of these data solutions can be when everything is built in-house can become incredibly heavy to bear for one organization when you think about maintaining something and, and as as you've mentioned before, sort of going through a roadmap of, of developing something over, over a period of time as well. I cannot agree more with your statement there. And one of the, the things that we have to realize is that as, as cultural institutions, um, the Met is obviously one of the bigger player in the space, but even we are subscale for many of the things. And when we think about the industry at large, there's a tremendous value in having an outsource vendor who can scale more effectively for the type of topics that impact and influence everybody, as you uh, noted. Whereas something like collections data is going to be so unique for each organization. And, you know, it's something that differs so broadly between, say, an art museum versus a history museum versus a science museum. And, you know, at that point, there is sort of no productized approach to it, is there? And what about the sort of attributes and skills that we should look for in data hires? What do you see as being the best people to get for the job? I think there are, generally speaking, two elements to think about. Uh, One is about the business skills and Second one is about technical skills and really is a question of what's the status with um, data champions, so to speak, within the organization in terms of what's the uh, should be the focus of priority in each one. To elaborate further on this, I think I I believe strongly that one of the most important thing is to have uh, one data champion within your organization uh, fairly high up uh, so that it can 
have both visibility into what the institutional priorities are, but also to be able to channel and provide the best findings, the most useful findings from data initiatives to the senior leaders within the institution. And this person's key role is to really elevate data to insights and then to tell a story that would then influence decisions and actions at the most important levels. And and that really comes from having a robust understanding of the business and being able to talk and engage at the board and the management uh, level. Mm, That's such a a hard trade-off, isn't it, that a a lot of attractions have to make if they can only get one hire. You know, is that sort of an analyst? Do they then bury that in a finance department or a marketing department or something similar, ticketing, et cetera? Or is that a leader um, that can then sort of show that value and help connect, um, as you say, the the business with the data to turn data into insights and, and to really start to prove that return? It is certainly a hard decision, um, but I do, again, think that when it comes to to data, the reality is that I think most institutions have very rich data already. Mm. And if you look at the marketplace, there are tons and tons of analysts, as well as many excellent uh, services and vendors and tools and softwares that allow you to do most anything. But what you need to have is somebody who can uh, help guide making prioritization of where to focus and to use these tools in the right way. Uh, Otherwise, you just drown in in the sea of options and choices and (laughs) and, uh, resources. So you have to start with the data champion. And from there, you make more uh, difficult trade-off decisions of the second person you hire how much focus to put on the technical skills versus business skills. And speaking of that champion, um, a big part of that job, I imagine, is really encouraging adoption and usage rather than sort of simply bringing data to people to give it to them, but rather sort of teaching them how to fish for themselves. For your internal users of data at the Met, how have you gone about that? I think it really starts with showing a bit of a proof of concept on what good looks like. So what I try to, to keep mind of is understanding uh, who are going to be important stakeholders who will be using data in, in depth. We can first take on a bite-sized project and do more of the building process through the centralized data team, but then show to, to really illustrate the value that we can provide through data. Once there's a buy-in on this, I think, generally speaking, there's a lot more willingness to learn and adopt and uh, invest in that area from each of those areas. So we would then work with them to focus more on the enablement and training element as opposed to doing it for them. That's generally the, the sequencing of it. But all of this needs to start with being able to show actual values to start up. And that goes back to having a conversation and really good understanding of what the key questions are for each of the areas, what the problems they're trying to solve, what are the hypotheses they have about the opportunities, and really proving or disproving them uh, through the use of data. That's such a it's such a sage advice for everybody in this area is sort of distilling things down into problems and then questions and then hypotheses or even in some cases 
um, assumptions that people might be making that need to be proven right or wrong. What about sort of developing data literacy? How have you approached that? One of the key things on on the data literacy throughout the organization is accessibility and also providing how to read and utilize insights. So to give a tangible example, we've created a automated dashboards and reports, which is now actually open not just to the senior leaders of the organization who used to receive such reports, but also to a broader set of uh, uh, people within the institution, uh, including uh, mid-level managers and sometimes even all staff. And the key is never to just distribute reports in PDF format and have people take a read, but to accompany it with presentation, Q&As, some sort of sessions to engage them in both describing and, and having them truly understand the takeaways, but also having them an opportunity to uh, lead to so what of uh, findings. That kind of effort takes a lot of time, but it pays dividends in really making people pay more attention to it and, and having a better understanding and actually having them create more questions and requests that help us make better decisions. So it helps everybody to increase the awareness and understanding and, and interest, curiosity around data. It's funny, isn't it? It's sort of that moment when you bring data and insight to a group and you walk away with more actions and questions is actually the successful outcome that you aim for rather than everybody sort of smiling and nodding and saying, great, let's let's move on. So the, the work is sort of never done, is it? Absolutely. That's the, that's the blessing and the curse of the role for sure. And what sort of changes have you seen in how your team at the Met communicate with each other or collaborate over data or how they make decisions or their, their team culture? What sort of impacts have you seen with this work? I think we're still uh, certainly in the the middle of the journey on this one and by no means we're we're done with this uh, sort of transformation uh, but one one thing i do really enjoy seeing is that people often have conversation at the beginning of the project uh, or fairly early on in the project discuss how to evaluate and how to think about the success i think so much of what people used to do was around here's a great idea. uh, These are all the reasons to do it. Let's do it. And let's discuss how to do it. But not so much on what what does success look like. And numbers are not the only thing, for sure. There is a qualitative and quantitative aspect to measuring success. But the fact that people are thinking ahead and thinking about that question as they design and, and come up with wonderful programs within the museum uh, is very encouraging to me. And so speaking of that qualitative and quantitative view, I know you've recently merged the visitor evaluation function at the Met into your data and analytics team. How do you see those worlds of that traditional qualitative world colliding or complementing the more quantitative space of analytics? And conversely, sort of how does the technology of of data analytics disrupt some of those more traditional approaches in that field? Certainly, uh, qualitative data complements quantitative data in in many ways. They go hand in hand, especially to tell a story, uh, as we have previously talked about the importance of that. Numbers are very cold. There isn't as much of a 
sense of feeling and emotions behind it. But once you complement the quantitative analysis with the qualitative backups, it really puts the actual human beings uh, behind data and helps both convey what really we're finding and what are the things that we can do to improve people's experience. And technologically speaking, there has been uh, tremendous progress in in many areas just from the way the world has shifted over the last several years. A couple of examples that really come to the top of my mind. um, First one is uh, email collection. So COVID has really pushed us into approaching online ticket uh, ticketing uh, more fully. So prior to COVID, most of the people coming to the museum didn't buy tickets in advance. They just showed up and bought the tickets through the registers or kiosks. Now, a majority of people purchase tickets uh, prior to, to visiting the museum. And this actually allows us to collect contact information, uh, the emails, which allows us to conduct uh, much better post-visit surveys and follow-ups with our visitors. Turning to kind of on-site, um, the fact that there's a, a higher uh, and more technologies uh, supporting on-site surveys like uh, iPad, the multi-language surveys, and just the sheer quick turnarounds of the findings and, and uh, survey respondents to be able to derive insights quickly, it has been a game changer on, on speed to insight. I'm thinking a little bit about the qualitative data, the in the world of AI with natural language processing, to be able to analyze thousands, tens of thousands of uh, customer feedbacks through the use of AI to, to categorize them and uh, quantify even the qualitative comments have certainly allowed us to uh, track what people are th- thinking and, and saying to us uh, in much more efficient ways. Mm, natural language processing is such a good example of how the qualitative and quantitative can come together, even if it is just a first pass, isn't it? Because previously, a lot of those comments would have to be manually coded from scratch by visitor evaluation teams who they have to go through and say if they're positive or negative or what sort of topics and emotions are coming through. Um, and to be able to have that first pass where they can still go in and confirm those things and, you know, obviously go and do a lot deeper um, surveys or, or processing to get their core takeaways of the meaning that people are giving across. But it does it does help speed up that process of very manual labor and, and focus the time of visitor evaluation on interpretation as opposed to codifying. And so... Baku, what, what sort of obstacles have you had to overcome in executing data strategy? I would say it was not quite an obstacle, uh, but I, one thing that did come up as necessity is the is the need to relentlessly uh, prioritize and focus. There are almost too many things that can be done in the world of data and the museum. And it has really been important to create and maintain and update multi-year roadmap with a clarity around what we're focusing this quarter, next quarter, so on and so forth, as opposed to taking on all tasks and, and, and failing at all. This comes back to the resource constraints. If I had a team that's 10 times as big, obviously we can do more in a shorter time. But just like any cultural institutions, we do have resource limitations and that really requires us to, to know what the focus and prioritization should be. 
what are some of the biggest challenges you see if we're sort of looking forward to the future, whether it's at the Met or more broadly in the whole industry for all cultural institutions? Can you sort of leave us with your thoughts on where visitor attractions and working with data are headed? Yeah, similarly, I think uh, in general, there's still a lot of uncertainties when it comes to data as a function, especially in the cultural institution or visitor attractions at large. There probably needs to be a little bit more time and cases being built from the phase that we're in with the evolution of the data as a function before we have a shared understanding across the industry of what good looks like and here are the types of people to hire and here are the types of things people work on. And again, technology is already out there to really unlock value from data that exists, but there really isn't sufficient amount of or availability of the talent and resources who can help bridge the gap between the technology and the cultural institutions and have a holistic vision for um, data approach at large. So I think that that is the piece that the next several years would be a, a, a time for the industry to, to really uh, develop and cultivate. It is going to be such a challenge, particularly with the tight labor market we're in at the moment as well. And um, for the cultural sector to then compete with the commercial one, um, it's going to be a, a very difficult challenge to address. I certainly agree. And looking at the bright side of it, including myself, I think I think of this as, as a truly, truly a big white space and opportunity for the, the uh, like-minded people. I am reminded every day how much value I could be delivering um, by unlocking values through data. And I'm always feeling constant uh, feeling of uh, need to do more and more and more because I know I can, I can uh, help the museum make better decisions and better actions by working on certain things. It's just that, you know, there's a limit to how much one can do in one day. But I do think the same applies for anybody within the institution. And the fact that it is still underdeveloped uh, or still in the developing phase really gives opportunity for, for the people to explore what they can do here in this particular industry and areas compared to some of the more well-established industries where the, the use of data is already codified and, and cleaned up and there's not much more exploration to be made. Yeah, it is fascinating, isn't it? I think over the past, I think, five years, we've seen data go from experimental and sort of that early innovation of research and then into sort of proof of concepts and pilot projects and now very much into evolving functions where the focus is on return and and deriving value and, and really seeing that sort of maturity of the industry, if you like, in, in the data world. It's an, it's an exciting phase to be in. Absolutely. Aku, thank you so much for joining us today and for all of that fantastic advice for um, both people who are going to follow in your footsteps of becoming um, data leaders themselves and, and for the institutions that will follow um, in the footsteps of the Met and, and, and investing in, in that function and um, navigating all of the um, all of the highs and lows that you've, you've no doubt been on over the past few years, particularly with the pandemic thrown in there. I um, really appreciate you joining us today and, and thank you so much for sharing that journey. No, thank you very much.